Welcome to the Tom Dupree Show. This week, a Darsh Meshru, Mike Johnson, Tom Dupree on the phone, and we're going to be talking about, guess what? The Fed raised interest rates for the first time since 2018. It's an inflation topic again. You there, Tom? Yep. You're on. The music is uh, the Yardbirds from 1966. Uh... A band which, believe it or not, had in its membership um, Jimmy Page and Eric Clapton uh, at one time. But the leader was a guy named Jeff Beck. Uh, There was a guy named Chris Drasia in there and uh, some other folks. Uh, 66 would have been right around the time of Sgt. Pepper's by the Beatles so you know there was a fascination with kind of Indian sounding sitar music this song not to be outdone by the others includes some of that your psychedelic stuff starting to kick in and uh, but the Yardbirds were not really a group that uh, people in the states really listened to they weren't really what I would call you know a commercial uh, success like Say the Beatles, uh, the Kinks, even the Dave Clark Five, and starting to get going the Rolling Stones. But they've always been uh, a group that had tons of talent. Mike, yeah, and um, I mean, you look at <clears throat> Jimmy Page and Clapton. You know what they went on to to do and accomplish and notoriety. And Beck's always kind of been under the radar. Uh, he's really never made it. Oh, I mean, he's he, they they say he's a, a, a musician's guitarist, you know, guitarist guitarist kind of thing. He, he's kind of always been a little bit of a rebel, kind of out there. Um, but a is his style is unique. Uh, there, there's nobody that plays quite like him. Yeah, I mean, he did, he it's probably didn't like the. My guess is he, he probably didn't really like the. Uh, you know, the limelight kind of thing. He, he, yeah, I know I, I saw one live thing of his where the crowd's all yelling and everything. And he's, it's almost like he's kind of going, get it over with <laughs> right. so play again. And he's you always, know, so. he's, he's always uh, leaned a little more towards just instrumental too. I mean, whenever he had the Jeff Beck group, Rod Stewart was the singer for a while and it was very good. Um, but he's, he's more instrumental. Um, it's yeah, unique, right? 
So anyway, uh, yesterday the, the, the Fed raises interest rates, uh, for the first time in about four years. Um, and, uh, they went big and bad. They went a quarter of a point. So, um, it's a joke. Um, you, they, the, the, the temerity and the, uh, the, this really kind of weakness of, uh, the leadership in my opinion. And I felt that ever since this guy came on that if they ever needed really a bold move, they had gotten the, the wrong guy. I, I, the article that, it was put in the Wall Street Journal. It quotes um, um, whatever the guy's name, Powell, Jay Powell, is saying, uh, well, I looked around this table and I saw a bunch of people that look like they're willing to do what it takes, you know, to get prices back stable. And I'm thinking, sir, that's your job, not the committee's. <laughs> you, you say what happens and what's going to happen and the committee then basically goes along with you. That's what Paul Volcker did in the uh, early 80s when, when it was required of a big move to get inflation under control. But I tell you, it's, this is almost a, a more of a reflection of the Biden administration, more of the same. These big-time government bureaucrats, they don't really care. If they really cared, you know, uh, Owl would be breathing fire to get uh, inflation under control. But he's got his nice, cushy Federal Reserve job, and he's got his little committee that really, quite frankly, has a lot of there, there are some people on that board, heads of different Fed uh, uh, offices around the country, that are there because of politics, not because they're economists. Now, some of them are economists, but there's some others that are simply pure and simple uh, on that board because of, of of political correctness. And I see where one of them just withdrew her nomination yesterday, and that would have been a pure. PC pick. I uh, can't think of her name, but she, she took her name out of the uh, running. But anyway, you know, we're there's going to come a point where the bond market is going to say, wait a minute. We're looking at, you know, seven, eight, nine percent inflation, 7.9 recently, and we're making two or three percent. And they're talking about, you know, by the end of the year, getting the Fed funds rate up to just under two. Still, we're going to be negative 5%. You know, what? what's that going to do to the Treasury? Maybe 3%? They even said that. They didn't expect to see rates go over 3%. When, when the bond market gets really in a spot where they know they're getting screwed, they, these guys never – They I don't know if any of them remember the early 80s or the mid-80s, and, and I was there. And, uh, I mean, it just – it gets ugly. We were in a deal one time, and uh, a municipal deal in '86 when rates were shooting up just prior to the uh, um, 
to the uh, well before 1987, the big meltdown of October 19th, and you started seeing rates begin to move up. This might have been actually in '87. We did a municipal deal that uh, came at par, and before the deal closed, that which had traded at par was trading at 80 cents on the dollar. So think about that a minute. Wow. In about a month and a half, the longer bond was on that deal was down 20%. That's like something you'd see a stock do, but not, not a bond. But the other thing is, I used to think, well, the bond market, you know, they, they're wiser. They know more. They, uh, uh, do, uh, you know, they're investing serious money, you know, but I feel like because of the political correctness and the co-opting of the interest rate markets by the federal reserve over the last say 15 years, really since 2008, that the bond market doesn't know it's rear end from a hole in the ground. I mean, you know, they're, they're, they sit there and they're willing to take this kind of abuse and keep rates where they are. And there's nobody in there that remembers the early eighties. So that's just me. I don't know. I might be all wet, but, uh, that's just my, my take on it. Well, uh, Tom, when you, when you also think about the fact, so if you compare, uh, the current period to, uh, the late 70s, early 80s, when inflation uh, was this high, uh, the Federal Reserve today is pretty active in the bond market, you know, because through its QE uh, program, uh, which uh, it wasn't uh, to this extent back then, normally a Fed would just uh, uh, engage in what's known as uh, open market uh, operations. Where, the only uh, thing they bought and sold back then was treasury bills. Yes. So now, uh, through uh, because of QE, the the Fed has also been very active in the you know longer term uh, bond market. So you have to wonder how much that uh, has also distorted longer term yields. Where if the Fed was not put now, as of this month, they're going to stop engaging in QE. But so far. Uh, you, they have been. So is the bond market even, uh, you know, reflecting uh, what longer term interest rate should be in the current uh, inflation environment? Good question. Uh, so just gauging by the reaction of uh, the markets, uh, the stock market, you know, uh, uh, went up. The rates on the long bond have also been going up somewhat so the market perceives this action not to be too uh, uh, hawkish in any way um, I think it was priced in uh, of course you know this just happened yesterday so we'll have to see what happens over the next few days but if you know uh, inflation uh, remains high uh, and if uh, the CPI figure and the PPI figure stay elevated, then the, the Fed is going to be in a really tough spot, you know, if not right now, then maybe a month or two from now. Uh, so who knows uh, if, you know, they'll, they'll act. But as, as of now, they haven't uh, acted as strongly, you know, as you uh, alluded to, like Paul Volcker did back in uh, the early 80s. Yeah, and Paul Volcker had fewer tools. Uh, 
really the only thing he had was federal open market uh, operations and uh, the discount rate. He could right. uh, raise the discount rate. Well, the discount rate wasn't really a rate uh, that anybody uh, borrowed at. I mean, it was, uh, you know, it was just something that uh, was uh, kind of, if you actually had to borrow at the discount window, uh, you were probably in trouble as, as a bank. Uh, so those were the things that he used. Um, today, uh, you, you know, they're, like you say, the open market. I mean, they own every bond that's ever been issued. I mean, right. <laughs> I'd love to go through their bond portfolio and say, well, I think I'll take that one, but knock about 15 points off the price. Uh, you know, I mean, they're, you know, the thing that we don't sort of understand today is because they bought all these bonds. If we had a real sell off on the long end of the market, I mean, a real sell off, like 10 points on the treasury it puts their portfolio so far underwater that the fed is, is completely insolvent. Um, now you say, well, that doesn't really matter. You know, they're not like a regular bank. Well, if they're not like a regular bank, why do they have assets and liabilities? Why do they have capital? And, uh, you know, yeah, you can't go open a checking account with the fed, but the thing of it is, is that, uh, if the, if the long end, because they are so heavily invested in the long market, which they, this is without precedent that they've done this ever in history, you get a major move lower and their assets, their, their capital is gone. Right. Yeah. So on paper, yes, that, that, that would happen if, uh, if there was a move in rates, then there. If the Fed was forced to mark to to uh, mark to market their uh, assets, then yes, they they could technically uh, become insolvent. Well, they, here's the one thing: if they let's say they didn't mark their assets to market, then they'd be stuck with them they, because they can't start unloading their portfolio uh, down ten points. So right. anyway, that's kind of a we're getting into the weeds here, but the the point is that, that to me. Ultimately, what we're going to realize one day that the, the idea of having a central bank has been disastrous, and especially one that issues our own currency. Uh, Andrew Jackson fought it in the 1820s or 30s, you know, and, and he finally lost because the centralizing forces were so strong, and now we've got it, but we, we basically own it, and uh, we'll, we'll see what happens. If, if I could, I want to circle this to, you know, investors that are, that are listening. Um, if you think of your, your 401k plan or whatever your investments are, um, when we're talking about bonds and interest rates and um, how that affects the prices of what we're talking about is the, the, the duration of the bonds, how long until maturity, how long until you essentially get your money back. Um, when we're in a rising rate environment, um, bonds, the prices of the bonds go down, and you have to know 
let's say let's say you say in the for your four hundred one k, I want a forty percent allocation to bonds, and you put it in a bond fund. Well, you you better know what that bond fund's made up of. Is it short duration, medium, long duration? Um, that's just the time of the bond. But then you need to look too at quality of the bond. Um, one thing we've seen here recently too is uh, spreads widen out uh, with high yield bonds, high yield bond, which means high yield bonds were very expensive. You weren't really getting paid for the risk that you were taking. And you've seen the prices of those come down here recently. Now that is partly due to the interest rate uh, issues that we're talking about, but it's also due, you look at what the stock market's done. High yield bonds can move more like stocks because a high yield bond is a high yield bond because the company might have problems. Um, And so you have a little bit of that uh, uh, equity stock uh, look to them in terms of price movement. So when you're investing in these things, we, we we can get in the weeds on this stuff, but this is the stuff that's very important. This is kind of foundational things when you're looking at fixed income assets because fixed income doesn't necessarily mean safe or stable. Um, that, that's that, that's um, misleading at best. Yeah, and the other thing you have to look at uh, in a bond fund is what's, what's the average coupon. In other words, what is the average interest rate of the bonds in there in this environment for several years now, most of the bonds that have been issued have had a relatively low coupon, low interest rate by historical standards. If interest rates reverted back to, you know, five, 6% on the long end, those two to three percent bonds would drop in value like a rock, because, but because duration is basically the uh, calculation of how long it takes you to get your money back, both principal and interest, and part of the return of all your money is the coupon. If the coupon is low, that means it's going to take longer to get the money back, and therefore the price is going to get hit harder. And I mean, it gets ugly real quick. Right. And to to your point within a bond fund, um, you know, every month or quarter, there are bonds that are maturing. So let's say you had a, a bond fund with an average yield. So the yield has been coming down uh, with interest rates, but the bonds within that fund, because of the maturity of the bonds internally, and then the repurchase of the newly issued bonds, the coupon rate on those bonds, because the coupon is the stated interest rate on the bond. And, And so those have gone down, the coupon has, uh, as interest rates have gone down. Yeah, it takes several years sometimes for that to happen in a bond fund because, you know, you own some of these older bonds that have 5 or 6% coupons, but over time, those either mature or get called in the case of municipals, and then you have to replace them with bonds with a 2 to 3% coupon. So what happens is you are way more exposed to a rise in longer-term rates because of the fact that uh, you, you know, you just don't have much income. So you know, right now to me, looking at longer term 
bond funds, it just looks like a dive straight off a cliff. I mean, I, I, they may not drop as much as I think they could drop, but I've seen what they can do, and I've seen how badly they can drop. And I, it's a, it's a part of my history. It's at the very beginning of my career, but I remember it like it was yesterday. And right now, I want to insert that we are Dupree Financial Group. We are not the tax-free uh, bond fund, also with the name Dupree. Uh, we are Dupree Financial Group, and we are. We specialize in retirement, uh, preparing people for retirement, getting them to and through retirement. Um, and I also will insert, it's never, there's never been a more important time in recent times to know what you own. And we're happy to take a look at your portfolio and to give you a free portfolio review. Know what you own, call us 859-233-0400, or you can go to our website, which is dupreefinancial.com and schedule your portfolio review. Guys, we've got it about a minute to wrap up. You got anything else you want me to take it on out? Well, I would simply say that that is very important. A lot of times buried inside of these uh, bond funds or, or different types of uh, even uh, what they might call growth and income funds, uh, they have these fixed income in investments that in some cases they've been kind of stretching for yield recently because of the uh, low interest rate environment. So they might've bought some things and even some preferreds or things like that, which you got to look at because you better figure out, you know, this, we don't know what's there. All right, Tom, we got to jump. Know what you own. Call us 859-233-0400. You're listening to the Tom Dupree show. We'll be back in just a few minutes. Stay tight. Welcome back to the Tom Dupree Show. Joining us, Adarsh Mashru, Mike Johnson, on the phone, Tom Dupree. This half of the hour, we're going to talk about the secret to braving a wild market. Guys, we have had that lately. Tom. That's more of Jeff Beck getting nutty with a talk box and just everything he does. 
a real musician, real maestro. All right. So I want to talk about this article in the uh, Wall Street Journal uh, that was written by Jason Zweig. Zweig um, and he basically talks about and gives some history about dealing with a nasty market. And uh, he is uh, a guy who's been around writing about this stuff for a lot of years. And uh, he talks about a guy that actually got me into the market uh, in 87. I had never really invested in stocks prior to 1987 because I came up as a bond guy and I thought bonds, why would you need to own stocks if you could buy bonds yielding 10%? But anyway, I uh, bought some of the Templeton growth fund and then we had the uh, October 19th of 87 meltdown and the uh, market dropped 22% in one day. And I bought more because I had read about what Mr. Templeton said, or as he later became to be known as Sir John Templeton. And uh, he uh, said, buy more when it's on sale. What he was talking about were good companies that had good, strong balance sheets and good businesses. He was not necessarily talking about bonds or fixed income investments because they are more tied to the currency. And as uh, Charlie Munger of, uh, of the, the friend of Berkshire Hathaway uh, and Warren Buffett uh, said recently, he said, under all scenarios, the currency goes to zero. So, uh, you know, that's what can happen to you in a fixed income environment. But with companies, uh, with uh, shares of companies, you're actually investing in human uh, enterprise. And uh, and that, there is a difference. Yes, it's denominated in dollars or whatever the local currency is, but they are companies that are actually creating a good or service that is separate and uh, tangible, uh, apart from, um, the, uh, currency itself, the dollar or whatever, which of course can be debased and, and has been debased. So I like the article by Jason Zweig in that it gives you a historical perspective and what he talks about are the, uh, sort of character attributes that are required to be a good investor. And the number one of those is courage. Now, uh, this is a thing that's in very short supply in today's world. Courage. I'm not talking about stupidity. I'm not talking about uh, arrogance sort of masquerading as courage. I'm talking about well-informed courage where you've weighed all the potential risks and rewards and you come up with what you know is the right thing to do and you do it. 
um, that is courage that is very seldom found these days. Certainly not much in government and not as much in a private enterprise uh, as it used to be, at least in large companies. Now, there are small companies where some of those people who run small businesses are some of the most courageous people you'll ever find. But um, this is not, it's not a quality that many people uh, in the quote investment world talk much about because they, you know, they're, they've been spoon fed, uh, pablum by the fed over the years. And they think they're investors because they sit in front of a screen and, you know, measure what the next, you know, look at the earnings of companies and things like that. But courage is doing what's right when it's time to do it. I like the example. Um, this is, you know, one of many of his, you know, famous things that he's done. But when, uh, Templeton was 26, uh, this was in 1939. Um, he 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 borrowed at the time. It was ten thousand uh, dollars in today's dollars. That'd be about two hundred thousand um, dollars. But he called his broker. This was you know well before he had the Templeton funds. Uh, he called the broker and said he wanted to buy a hundred dollars worth of every stock trading uh, that was trading for less than a dollar, and. Uh, and 34 of those were in bankruptcy at the time. Um, but, um, because of that overall, the investment about quadrupled, uh, when he sold it, uh, he sold in 1944. Um, and I, I love this quote and, and Tom, you've told me some stories of, uh, people in the past that have said uh, things similar to this, but he was, he was a Templeton was a religious man and um, he said at the time, and if things got much worse, then civilization itself wouldn't survive, which I didn't think the Lord would allow to happen. And so it was like, well, if this goes to nothing, it's not going to matter what else it would have been in. Um, but things did get worse after he initially purchased those stocks. Um, you know, you look at you know, 1941, Pearl Harbor, uh, 1942, um, you know, uh, going across Russia, um, but he sold in 1944. Um, so you, you think of what happened between the time he bought it and when he sold, um, that took a lot of courage. Yeah. And, and patience. The other thing is, you know, sometimes it takes courage to admit when you're wrong. And you might yep. make an investment in something and uh, your ego gets wrapped up in it. And you don't want to uh, sort of admit that you might have screwed up. And, uh, you know, that's, <laughs> well, <laughs> we all screw up. Yeah. So you, you've got to admit it and you have to cut your loss when it's time to. Um, but I still believe you know, that the going forward, as John Temple said, I, I had a client um, who um, this was at the very bottom of the bond market when rates got as high as they were going to go. Um, he, he came in and said, let's buy some bonds. And uh, I think my dad tried to talk him out of it. You know, well, look at what interest rates are doing. And he listened to him, and then he said, well, what else should I do with the money? 
because if they stay this way, and these these were super high double digit rates, uh, people were uh, having trouble. Uh, I remember Don Ball, the uh, famous home builder, Ball Homes in Lexington, spoke at a, a some kind of meeting. I heard him say he was talking about eighty one, eighty two. Uh, he he said I thought we'd never sell another home. Plus they had money borrowed. Uh, from the bank at well over double digits interest rates. So, you know, you gotta, I mean, it takes persistence. And the other thing Jason Zweig says is that to invest over the last 30 years really hasn't required much patience. You know, we have people come in that have put money in their 401k plan and they, they've got these big sums of money, but I think in a way it would be wiser if they realize that the ability to do that over time is kind of a historical anomaly. If you go back a thousand years, people didn't have million dollar 401k plans. You know, this is, this has been something that's occurred recently. Right. So, I mean, this, uh, Advice is especially relevant to, uh, uh, you know, the younger people who uh, haven't really lived through a period where, you know, returns uh, have not been easy to come by. So um, if you think about there have been, you know, periods from uh, uh, really the early 60s to the mid 70s when the market went nowhere. If you go back even more recently to the year 2000 to 2013, the market went nowhere. And then if you go back back to uh, the Great Depression, there was a 25-year period where the market really did nothing. Um, so it's easy to uh, just you know follow the crowd and invest when the market is going straight up. But oftentimes, uh, you know, it's, uh, it, it's not always the case that the market uh, does that. And uh, when times get hard, uh, that's when you have to uh, have the courage to be a co- contrarian, perhaps, as uh, John Templeton was. Uh, or in some cases, you know, when we had uh, this big run-up in growth stocks, for example, last year, you also have had to be a contrarian then and not, you know, uh, jump into uh, these stocks because you were afraid of missing out on, on returns. It'd be interesting. I don't know if you have a thing you can look at that shows this, but it'd be interesting to know what's happened to the volumes of uh, somebody like uh, Robin Hood uh, in, in terms of you know how many trades they're doing today versus two years ago. I, I think, uh, yeah, I, I'm sure we could find that out. Uh there, I was reading a study recently that that said that you know the stimulus payments that were sent out resulted in more people trading. So if if uh, if just the lack of these stimulus payments, uh, you know, uh, it it wouldn't be uh, far fetched. Most of that, I, I would say most of that money probably got lost. Uh, you know, they probably they had no idea what they were doing. And my bet is they lost most of it. Right. And a majority of traders, I think we have a lot of data that shows that over 90% of 
traders do tend to lose because uh, you know they get in and get out at the wrong time, which is probably what happened uh, even last year, especially given that a lot of growth stocks that were extremely popular last year are down 70, 80, 90% uh, this year. So, uh, so that means that you don't just buy the market, you buy things that may be a part of the market, but you need to know what you're buying. Right. You need to be very careful about where you're putting your money. And just because you hear the market's going up, that doesn't mean you need to be buying the market willy-nilly. Right. And uh, valuations do matter. You know, there are times when it seems like, you know, we are in a new era and this is, uh, you know, the new technology is going to change how things uh, are done. And, and that is true, but that does not mean that, you know, you can pay an exorbitant uh, sum for, uh, you know, a stock which is not uh, worth it. We saw this in the late 90s and we saw this again last year where companies were trading at 50, 60 times, uh, you know, sales, which is uh, uh, outrageous because they just cannot grow that fast. And here we are a, a year later, the same companies are trading at much, much uh, lower valuations. Right. Well, I think, so I, go, go, go ahead. ahead, go ahead, Tom. No, I just think that you have to look at history. If you don't look at history, you're going to get lost. Uh, and uh, in many ways, what's been going on is unprecedented. So to some degree, there is no historical precedent for what we're seeing. But you do, you know, you have to look at human nature and extract as much as you can from your knowledge of how human beings function in order to uh, kind of try to do what something different than what everybody else is doing at a given time in the market. Right. And when we're, I know me personally, when you talk about courage of doing something in the market, the, the first thing you think of is buying something. Um, you know, like, like, like Templeton did in this example, you think you, uh, it's courageous to be buying and that's part of it. The other half of that equation though, is being courageous in not acting as well. Um, sometimes that, that in and of itself is the right move, um, where you, you, you don't sell when all of your emotions, everything in you is saying sell, and that's what the crowd is doing, which is why this, the market would be going down in that instance. You know, everybody's selling, and so you have to be courageous and hold through those environments um, if if you know what you own. Yep. One of the things that we know right now, the Fed telling us that they're going to raise rates seven times all year. They're going to try to get the funds rate at around 1.9%. It's been at basically zero. Um, you you got to be careful about thinking, oh, that bond fund looks cheap, and I'll buy it. <laughs> it could get a lot cheaper. 
because I don't think the bond, I think the bond market's still in denial. In some ways, the stock market is in denial, but there's elements of it that aren't. There's elements of, of stocks that have already had a correction. Now, if there's anything there to be looked at, that's that's one thing. If there's not, avoid it altogether because they'll go to zero. But you have to find out where the value is, who's got real businesses, how much are they worth, and then go in and do the research. And, right. that's, and, then, and that's where we come in, right? With the yes. research. And then your wife tells you the show's over with. <laughs> no, 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 no. You've got about another three minutes to fill, Tom, so oh, carry okay. on. All right. Well, here's the thing. You know, in order to really do good research, you have to think differently than, uh, than what everybody else is thinking. And you have to be uh, not afraid. You have to have some courage. You can't be like the rest of the crowd. You've got to be different. And listen, I don't know if that can be taught or learned or if it's something that somebody has. I'll tell you this. I didn't have it very much when I was young in the business. Today, I have a little more of it. Part of it comes from having felt like I knew what the market was going to do, and I didn't take action, and it did what I thought it was going to do. But I doubted myself. So you have to say, I'm not going to keep doubting myself anymore. I'm going to make a decision because I believe what I'm feeling. So... That's part of it. Well, and the the patience part of it's a big piece too. You look at uh, you know in, in Templeton's case, you know you were looking at about a five year window uh, before the stocks did anything. They got the what he bought got worse before they got better. Um, most people, um, when you're thinking of a long term, um, ideally everybody would say, well, that's ten. 20 years, 30 years down the line. But most people long-term, they view that as a year. Um, and if something doesn't work in that quick or that what they've got in their mind, then they lose patience, they bail out, they sell at the wrong time, they, they buy more at the wrong time, whatever it may be. Um, but it, So it, it's so important to have patience and let the research and let your diligence play out over a longer period of time right and i'm gonna start some music right here it's supposed to start where is that music does anybody hear it well anyway i may just have to roll with that at this time it's never oh there it is it's never been a more important time to have another set of eyes on your portfolio if you're in a one set and forget fund of some kind you need to have another set of eyes to take a look at it. Give us a call, 859-233-0400, or go to our website, duprefinancial.com. You can schedule a free portfolio review with us. Never hurts to have another opinion, or two or three opinions. More eyes on it, the better you're going to get an idea of what you got. We appreciate you listening to the Tom Dupree Show with the Darsh Meshru and Mike Johnson. 
You can always listen to more of the Tom Dupree Show at dupreefinancial.com slash blog and radio. We appreciate you listening, and we will talk to you next week.